So in the past couple of months alone, it seems like both Vin Diesel and now Johnny Depp have been headlining their respective ensemble-driven franchises, Fast and Furious and Pirates of the Caribbean, respectively, in which they've become essentially the least interesting element about it. It's weird. It's almost like Hollywood has bled both series dry and just can't come up with any more original ideas. Hmm. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, we're going to be sailing off to review the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean film, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Of course, Johnny Depp, star of this franchise, Captain Jack Sparrow, savvy, doesn't have nearly the audience goodwill he did when the franchise launched in 2003, based on the theme park ride at Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and basically any Disney park you go to. Um, they pretty much have a Pirates of the Caribbean there. And in recent years, Depp has faced increasing criticism for his questionable appearances in high-profile flops like The Lone Ranger, Transcendence, Mordecai. Sorry to bring those up, but, you know, it's kind of kind of pertinent to today's conversation a little bit. And an over-reliance on his longtime collaboration with Tim Burton. They've really kind of trapped, trapped, rather, trapped Depp in a perpetual rough spot publicly with between the films that he's showing up in that are just letting people down left and right, critics and audiences, looking at you, Alice, through the looking glass, and also the public scandals he's had to deal with, with his uh, his marriage with Amber Heard and domestic violence abuse, um, uh, allegations and that kind of thing. Um, but basically his career, whether good or bad, has been littered with surprising turns. So before we turn... Uh, to Pirates of the Caribbean's Dead Men Tell No Tales, which is a mouthful of a headline of a title, if I've ever heard one. Let's talk about some of Johnny Depp's surprising turns throughout his career. More specifically, let's talk about Six. Let's talk about Six, baby. Let's talk about flicks and me. Let's talk about what the good films and the bad films are to me. Let's talk about Six. Let's talk about Six. So looking over Johnny Depp's filmography, there's a lot of options for what you can go for. What do, what do you define as surprising, for example? You're talking about when he randomly showed up in a movie and you're like, hey, is that Johnny Depp? Or were you talking about just the, the range of performance or the impact that it's had on pop culture? For the purposes of this list, we're going to put aside Captain Jack Sparrow. We're going to be talking about him enough and focus on those other elements that I just mentioned. So coming in at number six, we have Sweeney Todd. The 2007 film, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. This is, of course, based on the stage musical by Stephen Sondheim. And it's one of Depp's many collaborations, as I mentioned a moment ago, with Tim Burton. This actually, part of what makes it so surprising isn't necessarily that Johnny Depp can sing and that he brings sort of a rock star gravitas to this role. It's, I think for me personally, what was surprising is how much I love this film. This is probably one of my favorite Tim Burton films uh, in general. Definitely one of my favorite Johnny Depp films. And not only does he sing and carry the film that way, but I think at this point people had such lowered expectations with what what they were going to get out of a Depp-Burton joint that the fact that Sweeney Todd, at least for some audience members like myself, the fact that it resonated the way it did and the fact that he not only got an Oscar nomination for the film, but won... I believe his first and only Golden Globe, which we didn't, you know, that year wasn't televised because of the writer's strike back in, uh, back in, I think, 08. So, I don't know. Sweeney Todd, I had to stick it on this list just because, like I said, it is one of my favorites. And because the 
what what Depp and Burton were able to pull off here really impressed a certain number of people, myself included, after things like Corpse Bride and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that were fine, but sort of uh, sort of a letdown. And sadly, Sweeney Todd still remains probably their their best uh, col- collaboration since since we've basically gotten Dark Shadows and uh, and things like that. So moving on to number five, another Johnny Depp performance, another Tim Burton movie, actually. We're going to look at Ed Wood. I feel like this film, this film, he, he has such a different energy to him, Johnny Depp, as infamous filmmaker Edward Wood Jr. of Plan 9 from Outer Space and, uh, and, Glenn, and Glenn or Glenda and other films that Probably, yeah, probably, you know, you're better off for the most part ignoring unless you're just in the mood for one of those terrible films. You know, every once in a while, it's important to cleanse your palate. But what's impressive here is not only that Burton was able to actually make a rather poignant film out of the story of one of the most uh, most terrible filmmakers of all time, but, but the fact that Depp has such a wide-eyed innocence in the role and he really makes you care for this character rather than pity him or mocking him the the film actually asks you to empathize with him and unfortunately this one did not get as much of the uh, um awards attention as it should have of course Martin Landau won for best supporting actor but Johnny Depp was was ignored for, by an Oscar which is ridiculous considering i think that this is probably one of his top 5 best performances ever it's also one of his five most underrated performances ever so uh, if you have not seen Ed Wood and if you were a Johnny Depp fan I don't know how you would have not seen Ed Wood by now but uh, I would definitely check that out because it's a great film and um, for some of you younger Johnny Depp fans who haven't gone back and looked at some of his earlier work and basically know him as in the Captain Jack Sparrow era uh, I would definitely go check it out because it's a real demonstration of the kind of range that he's really capable of when he puts his mind and really commits to a project so coming in at number four, I don't know how much of a surprise this was for a lot of people because it was publicized so heavily beforehand, but Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Spoilers for those of you, I guess, Potterheads that haven't seen it, which if you're a Potterhead, you've seen it. So I guess for those of you casual moviegoers who haven't seen it, uh, this is, of course, the Harry Potter spinoff starring Eddie Redmayne and a host of others, Colin Farrell. Uh, and of course, Johnny Depp makes a brief appearance uh, in the film, towards the end, I won't get into details about that, and we'll be playing a major role in the subsequent, what, five sequels? What are we looking at? I think, I think it's, they're planning a total of six films for this. Um, and like I said, a lot of it was publicized beforehand. We knew he was going to be in it, so I was basically watching the movie the whole time, wondering when Johnny Depp was going to show up. And when he did, I this is one of those surprising ones that was not very uh, satisfying, because I think a lot of people were disappointed with his character's look. And uh, and some people at this point were turned off by Johnny Depp because of all his uh, all his scandals and because of all the films beforehand where he's done sort of his rote uh, English accent and quirky mannerisms, his Mad Hatter type stuff. And uh, and I think that in it's going to be interesting to see in the sequels whether or not he's able to sort of overcome that and win over the massive Potter audience. Or if he ends up sort of weighing those films down, it, it's uh, it's funny how many franchises he's randomly appeared at in in the last few years um, between Alice in Wonderland, Pirates. Of course, that wasn't the last few years with Pirates, but that you know just he's showing up more and more places, and I'm not sure if I necessarily think that's a good thing. Moving into number three, 
This one is actually another sort of slight cameo, not really going anywhere. But 21 Jump Street. Again, uh, of course, not the not the TV show. We're talking the movie. Yeah, he was a huge part of the TV show, and it basically launched his career. But I'm talking specifically about his cameo in the film version. Depp reprises his role as uh, Detective Tom Hansen, and uh, it does not it does not go well for him. Basically, you find out that he's spoilers for for the 21 Jump Street movie, which if you haven't seen it, shame on you. It's a freaking great movie, um, and its sequel. But that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, reply, briefly reprises his role as Officer, I guess it's Officer, what is it in this one? I guess it's Officer Tom Hansen, and then he gets promoted at some point, it doesn't really matter. Um, but he shows up basically later in the film, and you find out that he has been sort of infiltrating the, the gang of drug dealers, and uh, he, spoilers, gets killed off. And I, I think for the fact that the film takes such a comedic approach to what was essentially a drama cop series in the late 80s, early 90s, um, I think that that kind of underscores how the film is sort of uh, having its cake and eating it too, sort of uh, remaining true to the canon of 21 Jump Street, if, if, if there is such a thing, and also sort of subverting it. Be like, oh yeah, Johnny Depp's still here as Tom Hansen, but not for long. And uh, I think it was a role that maybe even took a few people a few times to kind of really recognize him throughout the film because he does show up in prosthetics and all that. Uh, a few times throughout uh, the runtime, and uh, yeah, ultimately dies. Sad. Coming in at number two, we're gonna look at. Let's fuck it. Let's do this one. We're gonna look at Tusk, the 2014 Kevin Smith, uh, I guess controversial horror slash black comedy. This one stars Justin Long as a podcaster who is in, is about to goes to interview this mysterious man who uh, ultimately wants to turn him into a walrus. And uh, for detailed thoughts on Freddy and my response to that weird film, hashtag walrus yes, by the way, I was one of the ones that supported that idea because it's, you gotta admit Kevin, you gotta uh, admire Kevin Smith's um, just gusto to come up with a crazy idea and be like, fuck it, let's make it. I have the resources to make this weird movie reality. Let's just do it. Hang out with a bunch of friends, make a fun, weird, quirky little movie, and throw it out there. And for the first half of the film, it has sort of a, a absurdly, absurdly, uh, not gory, but graphic sort of tone to it, where it's so over the top and big. And Michael Parks, R.I.P., is uh, gives a tremendous performance here as the sort of madcap, uh, I guess, walrus guy. I don't remember his character's name exactly, but um, he uh, he delivers such a great performance. And the film takes a sort of rather shift in tone about halfway through when you when you see um, Johnny Depp show up as French Canadian detective Guy Lapointe. With a prosthetic nose, sporting a ridiculous French Canadian French Canadian accent, and uh, he's basically tracking Howard Howe. Sorry, that's Michael Park's character's name. Finally remembered it. And uh, yeah, the film gets really to me, and you can hear the podcast for my thoughts on this. I, I believe it's episode two of uh, of the Crooked Table podcast. It really, it really weighs the film down, but it was not published. Unlike Fantastic Beasts, it wasn't really reported anywhere. It was just, you're watching a film, and then suddenly Johnny Depp shows up in prosthetics and, and pulls, a, uh, pulls a Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder, where you're like, what the fuck? 
Is that Johnny Depp? What is he doing in this weird movie? And, uh, you know, I, I think as much as seeing him in that film was weird and, and off-putting and sort of threw off the, the rhythm of the movie for me, I think he actually fits much better in Yoga Hosers, the uh, Tusk spiritual... It's a sequel, technically, but it's more of a spinoff, I guess. The Tusk spinoff, um, which that film has sort of a wacky tone to it, and I think his character fits better in there. You know, I think Tusk is a better movie, but um, so yeah, it's it's definitely surprising. It's the kind of weird role that he normally only does with a two hundred million dollar budget in a Tim Burton film, but it's in this small like I don't know if it's probably less than five million. This movie, uh, small role, not small role, but small film, as this sort of a like getting his Pink Panther on and uh, channeling his inner Peter Sellers to uh, to bumble through this French Canadian caper. Uh, style role uh, playing this detective so um, if you haven't seen Tusk and you're at all interested in that uh, I would check it out it's a, it's a decent film it's uh, not one of Kevin Smith's necessarily best but it's probably one of his more ambitious coming in at number one for Johnny Depp's most surprising roles Edward Scissorhands 1990 I think looking back now this film was probably the template for everything Depp has done since then um, all his Burton collaborations, all his big white face makeup, um, overly, ex he's both, because it's weird, in this movie he's both overly expressive and also very understated. Um, but this was the film that not only established his collaboration with Burton, it established his his love of sort of losing himself in makeup, in, in uh, prosthetics, in, in, in a really quirky, outlandish character. Um, and I think that it still remains probably one of his best performances because it is, it has basically been, he's basically aped that approach to so many of his roles since then. But there's a real heart and soul to this movie that I think has dissipated in especially his collaborations with Tim Burton over the years. Sort of, uh, sort of gradually, and, but with every film, I think I feel like you feel it less and less. Ultimately leading to you to something like Dark Shadows, where it, which is just, ridiculous and it's basically the worst of Depp and Burton together and they bring out the worst in each other but this was film the one that started it all for them is definitely with them at their the highest of their powers and I think Edward Scissorhands was really the breakthrough film for Johnny Depp I mean Crybaby came out before it but it was really the breakthrough film that established him as a credible leading man and and sort of set the tone that he could be more than just the uh you know teen idol like sex symbol type that he was in his jump street days and i think in some ways johnny depp has sort of been outrunning that that perception um throughout his entire career trying to askew traditional leading men roles so that he can take on something a little weirder a little more out there and appeal to a different audience hence you get things like tusk so um edward scissorhands definitely got to be number one still one of his best so now that we've taken a look at some of Johnny Depp's most surprising roles in the past, let's look at his latest effort as definitely his most iconic character these days, which wasn't in, in itself a very surprising role back in 2003. Of course, I'm talking about Captain Jack Sparrow. So let's move into our review of Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. I have heard stories of a mighty Spanish captain who's hunted and killed thousands of men. No, 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 men, no, 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 pirates. Pirates. I once knew a Spaniard named something in Spanish. 
He's coming for you, Jack. Where's your ship? Your crew? Your pants? Jack! I'm so sorry, were you still talking? You know, if you really examine that clip that I just played of the trailer, you kind of get a pretty good sense of everything that's right and everything that's wrong with Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales. For those of you who have never heard the podcast, the way these reviews work is we're going to talk about the hype, the story, the cast, the production, and then finally the verdict. So moving into the hype, of course this is the fifth installment in Disney's long-running Pirates of the Caribbean's film series. Um, based on the theme park ride, as I alluded to, or as I basically said, straight out said earlier, and those films have been uh, have been sort of critically mixed. I think the first film, everyone far and away agrees, is was a huge surprise. Established Johnny Depp as a a A list star. Up to that point, he'd been sort of one of those underrated actors that critics really liked or that had like a um, a cult following of fans, that kind of thing. But this is the film that made him big time and got him his first Oscar nomination after films like Edward Scissorhands and Ed Wood, as I mentioned earlier, where he delivered lots of performances that were not recognized and went right under the radar of the Academy, mostly because they're too quirky and weird, I guess. But I guess this was quirky and weird enough that it got him his first Oscar nomination, won him a SAG award, and basically lay down one of Disney's longest-running franchises. I mean, we're 14 years in, and this is the fifth film in the franchise. Um, the sequels have all had sort of diminishing returns as far as, as far as, um, uh, appreciation, I would say probably with both critics and fans on Stranger Tides, uh, on Stranger Tides. Yeah, I can't even barely say it. The much maligned, critically slammed fourth film, um, still made a lot of money. I think it even crossed a billion dollars worldwide, but it, it made less money in the, uh, in North America than its predecessors, and I think pretty much everyone was sort of starting to lose interest in this franchise. So it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how Dead Men Tell No Tales fares, the fact that On Stranger Tides was sort of a tremendous step down for the franchise, and this, is, this really does feel like sort of a refocusing in some ways. I'm not getting into too much of spoilers, but uh, we'll... It does bring back a lot of elements of the films before On Stranger Tides and trying to recapture that spirit that made those first three films, while the second and third were not perfect, they had a lot of issues, um, they did capture the audience imagination and sort of mythos of what made these films special much more than On Stranger Tides, which was basically trying to be a Jack Sparrow solo adventure Whereas in the other films, he sort of pops in and out of other people's uh, other people's quests for whatever. And uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales probably consciously marks a, a return to that way of thinking and approaching the character that way. So with that being said, let's move into the story. We're going to, like I said, we're going to keep spoilers to a minimum here. So this one basically starts out and we have Henry Turner, the son of Will Turner and Elizabeth Swan from the first three films and it's not really a spoiler to say that Henry Turner is basically looking for this mythical object uh, trying to see what what's revealed in the marketing or not I guess let's talk about the first scene he uh, he meets with his father and he decides to try and free his father from this curse and that's his motivation throughout this film it's to, it's to save his father and uh, 
course, Jack Sparrow ends up becoming a key part of that. Meanwhile, Captain Salazar, played by Javier Bardem, is being hunted, uh, is always hunting Jack Sparrow for this, you know, this betrayal that he did on him, that he did to him, I guess, decades before. And uh, there's a lot of elements of Curse of the Black Pearl that return here. There's a ghostly army. There is a man and a woman on sort of separate journeys. And I'm talking specifically of Brenton Thwaites, Henry Turner, and Kaya Scudelario's Karina, who's basically a woman of science. She's an astronomer. She studies the stars. And there's a whole plot line involving her that I won't really get too much into. Of course, you have a lot of returning faces here as well. And the story really does go back to the, the sea as sort of this place of magic, this place of fantasy where anything can happen, where pirates are roaming free and, and there's all these curses. And, and um, I think the film really does recapture the tone of the first three, everything that works and everything that doesn't. Um, there are MacGuffins, as there were in the other three films. There's, you know, the heart of Davy Jones and uh, I guess the compass and, and uh, some of these other ones in the earlier films. And I think that there is a more ensemble approach this time than in On Stranger Tides. As I said, that's sort of what worked about those first three films. That is, it was really Will and Elizabeth's story and Jack sort of popped in and out and, you know, double-crossed one of them or, or whatever. And I think that Dead Man Tell No Tales is in many ways sort of the Force Awakens of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise in that it focuses on the next generation. It has sort of a return of fan favorite characters. Um, Jeffrey Rush's Barbosa is back, of course, again. And it also marks sort of a, a new beginning in a lot of ways of where this franchise can go. And it really feels like this is the Pirates of the Caribbean film that they should have made after At World's End. And as opposed to just making whatever On Stranger Tides was, which I'm not going to lie, I, I struggled to make it through that movie. And I did see that one in theaters. And it was I was questioning whether or not I was even going to go see Dead Men Tell No Tales for a while there. But I've heard sort of mixed things critically. I know this is also getting kind of uh, hammered in the reviews. And I can understand that in a lot of ways. But uh, for me, this film was a step in the right direction. It felt sort of like Fast and Furious. It's funny how I keep making those comparisons between those two franchises because there's a lot of, um, I think, a lot there to to kind of look at them comparatively as long-running franchises when a main star who's sort of faded from how critical and how, uh, how much he adds to the proceedings. And I think that like Fast and Furious, the 2009 one, not the original film, this sort of is a little bit of course correction in that it brings back uh, the focus on the original core cast, like ensemble, and not necessarily just, you know, one, like Too Fast, Too Furious focused on Paul Walker, and it's not Paul Walker that people necessarily wanted to see. Rest in peace, Paul Walker. It's Paul Walker and Jordana Brewster and Michelle Rodriguez and Vin Diesel. And this film sort of starts to piece that back together, leading to a, a follow-up that could, knock on wood, could be the Fast Five of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise in that it completely resurges um, this series. Whether or not that involves Johnny Depp, I mean, they've said that they're not going to make these movies without him, but it, it remains to be seen whether or not he's going to do another one. So that's actually a perfect segue into the cast. As I mentioned, Johnny Depp here is actually one of the least interesting, least compelling, least, uh, least humorous elements of this film. 
I did feel like his whole, I'm drunk all the time and I'm just getting up to shenanigans. That whole shtick really wore pretty thin in this film. And it's it's become sort of paint by numbers. It's funny because you've heard all this, there's been a lot of reports lately that he's wasting money all over the place and he's just like phoning, literally phoning in his performances with an earpiece, having lines fed to him because he doesn't want to... Uh, he doesn't want to memorize them. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying that that's true or not. I'm saying that this performance, he, after playing this character so much, he does sort of feel like he's kind of phoning it in or like sleepwalking through it and being like, oh, I'm just going to stumble over here. I'm going to talk about rum. I'm going to say that I don't care about anyone but myself and that kind of thing. And it's gotten fucking old. And I'm, if, if the Pirates of the Caribbean movies want to move forward and sort of fade Jack Sparrow out, and bring in other elements of the franchise. I mean, that that's fine with me. Uh, he doesn't really have a... I mean, his story here is there's someone out to kill him, which we've seen that in other movies. Barbosa has been, was after him in the first one. Davy Jones was after him in the second one. Uh, the East India Trading Company was after him in the third one. Blackbeard was after him in the... I mean, this is like... How many times are we supposed to see that? It's, it's, not, it's not interesting. It's not fun. Any no, uh, novelty or or surprise, or entertainment value out of this character has been essentially wrung out. So they either need to um, totally do something crazy with Jack Sparrow in a sixth film to make him interesting again, or let him sort of take a seat back and be like, here are the uh, main characters of these films and Johnny Depp. If you want to pop him in there as a few for a few scenes, that maybe, maybe Disney doesn't really have to pay him as much, presumably... And we can have him in there like, oh, Jack Sparrow's still around, but he's not like the character we have to follow every film. Because I'm kind of tired with that. Um, or tired of that, rather. Brenton Thwaites here was, he was fine. He was serviceable. He reminded me a lot of Orlando Bloom um, in the original film. And he is head and shoulders above the male whatever the male supporting lead guy was in on stranger tides i don't even remember because it wasn't there was nothing memorable about that movie save for the idea of ian mcshane as a pirate which they didn't really do as much with as they should have uh, i think um kaya scudelario i hope i'm saying that name right i think she was she was pretty good here she had a lot of uh she had a lot of the same sort of spunk as uh, elizabeth swan and, uh, you know, she was street smart and she was actually kind of one of the smartest characters in the film, which I, I, I like that. I think that was great. I think she was uh, definitely a character that I want to see more of. And I know that those two, um, if they come back for more, I would I would love to see that. I think Jeffrey Rush gets a lot more to do this time and actually has a little bit of a story, which is nice considering he's usually just uh, kind of the the heavy or or just kind of the side guy who who says something funny every once in a while he doesn't he doesn't really have any emotional I don't think he's had an emotional driven story really since the first one where he's trying to break this curse because he doesn't feel anything and there's that great scene of course an iconic scene with him and Kira Knightley where she, he's like um, you best start believing in ghost stories Miss Turner you're in one which is a great scene, and he, he brings so much... Jeffrey Rush, he knows how to ham it up on screen. He does a great job as this character, and it, it's funny to see him and Jack keep coming across paths. It's just Jeffrey Rush, every time they share the screen, Jeffrey Rush seems like, in this film, like he's working on a higher level than Johnny Depp, which is sorry to say, because Johnny Depp was, of course, the marquee star of these movies, but he, uh, man, he just, he's, he's kind of a bummer in this. Um, Javier Bardem... 
just feels like he's just doing like a circuit race through Hollywood, being like, I want to pop into every franchise and pay a ba- play a bad guy. Ever since No Country for Old Men, that's like his thing. You play bad guys in, in you know, action films or, or fantasy. I mean, we had him in Skyfall, which he was great in Skyfall. But it's also like he's kind of doing a ghost, like half decayed ghost version of, uh, of Silva in this film a little bit. Um, the whole ghost army angle we've seen before. But like I said, I think like Force Awakens, I think the film... This film sort of takes elements of Curse of the Black Pearl, and I've read, I've heard uh, from you know, I've read quotes from the filmmakers, and I should probably look up the, the the filmmakers' names so I can make sure I can say their names right. Um, the filmmakers basically modeled this film after Curse of the Black Pearl, and I think you can really tell that with the character of Salazar. And I think Javier Bardem is a great actor, Oscar winner, and I think he brings a lot to that. And uh, the directors Joaquin Roning and Espen Sandberg. Uh, who did movies like Contiki, they, um, you know, they, they, I think it's wise that they're modeling this film, if it is indeed supposed to be sort of a new beginning. I mean, the, the film's uh, uh, marketing campaign has really started sort of focused on this being like, the final adventure begins. But the way that this ends, the way that, this, I'm not going to, no spoilers, the way that this film ends, and I would stay after the credits for, there is a post credit scene to, that hints at something even bigger, and more exciting for longtime fans. I think that it, it seems like, I said, more of a, a new beginning than anything else. So I would be shocked if this is the last one. Depends on the box office, of course. But the cast here, with the exception of Johnny Depp, was all really solid. And I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see more of this. Orlando Bloom, who, spo- no spoilers, because he's in the first scene. Um, I think he he's fine here. He doesn't have that much to do. He's more... Uh, sort of bookending, I guess, the film, just kind of showing up and uh, and setting the, the stakes for Henry Turner um, and kind of passing off to him. But there, you know, there seems to be an indication that we're not quite done with Will Turner yet. Um, and I won't get into specifics of what he's doing because, you know, um, you know, I don't know how, I don't know which previous movies you guys have seen, but Will Turner did not, was not in the best place at the end of At World's End. And this story picks up pretty much from right where the post credit scene of At World's End um, leaves Will and Elizabeth and their story with their with their son. So moving into the production. Of course, Pirates of the Caribbean, this film, I don't know, I'm not sure what the budget was, but I guarantee you it was pretty ridiculous just because there's a lot of CG in this one. Um, I'd say over time, these Pirates movies have gotten more and more um, lavish in their visuals because they've been able to to spend that money because they knew they were going to get the return on investment. Uh, I think Outworld's End was one of the most expensive films ever. And of course, according to Box Office Mojo, Dead Men Tell No Tales has a production budget of $230 million. And you can see a lot of that. There's hardly a frame in this film that doesn't have some kind of CG going on, um, enhancing you know green screen background or the ghost army or, uh, or things like that. But um, I think there's a lot of interesting visuals here it's nothing on the level i mean i don't think that salazar and his army are on the level of the uh barbosa and the black pearls crew from the first film or davy jones and what they pulled off with the second and third film with bill nye doing motion capture although i will say it is heads and sh- head and shoulders above davy jones uh sort of half fish half man crew which to me was always really cheesy and um 
and you know, I think these films, there's an element of cheesiness that goes into them, but that always kind of threw me off. Um, I think that the, the mystery and the mythos of these films has always been sort of rooted in, in kind of campiness in a lot of ways. And that, you know, everything is, everything is reversible and no one stays dead, really. Everybody's just cursed, wandering the ocean, waiting for Jack Sparrow to help them solve their problems, apparently. Uh, but the screenplay by Jeff Nathanson, and I know this is the production we're talking about, not the story, does, does give a lot of, uh, give the filmmakers a lot of leeway to, to set up a lot of interesting visually dynamic sequences here. Um, I'm not sure if there's any action sequences as memorable as some of the some of the sword fights in the first one, or like uh, what is it the the wheelbarrow thing in the second film. Um, but as I said, it, it it does seem like a step in the right direction. I will not necessarily say this is a great film, uh, but I will say it is a it is a decent film, and I think that you know while there is still a pretty high bar with the first movie. To this one, I think that, that there's a lot lacking from this film. Uh, part of that is, is of course, the Jack Sparrow of it all. Part of it is the fact that a lot of it does feel a little bit like a retread. As I said, I think a lot of that is intentional. But there's also certain elements of the production that I, are just not going to live up to. I mean, we have a score here by Jeff Zanelli. And uh, you can't compete with Hans Zimmer or even Klaus Badelt, who did who's one of Zimmer's sort of protégés who did the score to the first movie. It's, um, it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It doesn't, there's no memorable, there's no themes in this movie other than the, the classic that everybody knows that you're going to be remembering, not like the Kraken theme or the Davy Jones theme or some of the other, some of the other music from, uh, from the other first three films, which I still think works as a, as a trilogy. So whether or not this is the beginning of another trilogy, of films or whether or not this is the end or it goes from spin-offs from here will be interesting to see um i think that it does give the pirates of the caribbean franchise a new launch pad and for the first time in a long time i'm actually excited to see what they do with it next going into the verdict let's wrap this up i do think that pirates of the caribbean dead men tell no tales is a, a like i said a step in the right direction for the pirates franchise I am excited to see more of this. I think that that uh, Disney Disney wisely seems like they are sort of taking elements of what they've heard from the fan reaction to On Stranger Tides, taking that into account and trying to extend the life of this franchise by going back to what people love. And I don't want to get into too much too many specifics about that. But when you see this film, you see the way it ends. When you see the post credits scene no spoilers, you'll see that they are very much shaping this to be a follow-up to that original trilogy. And where a sixth film goes from there is, you know, yet to be seen. I think there's an interesting way in that they could do a sixth film that follows this one up, feels like a true, um, true sequel trilogy, I guess, or whatever, to the first ones. Maybe even brings back elements of On Stranger Tides that worked. Uh, maybe Penelope Cruz shows up again. I mean, her character, that was still left hanging. But I think that the film here is is not nearly as funny as some of the other ones. And it still has some of the same problems as the other films. Sort of overblown, sort of overly serious in moments. And then overly goofy in others. It's like tonal shifts back and forth. But I do think there is enough here to um, extend my interest in this franchise 
to at least one more movie, which I was like, God damn it. It's like Godfather 3. It's like every time I think they're out, they pull me back in. And uh, well done, Pirates. Dead Men Tell No Tales. I tip my hat to you. This one easily gets uh, between 3 and 3.5. I haven't decided exactly where I land on this film. Uh, probably more on the 3 side of things, but it's definitely more enjoyable. It's the best one since at least at World's End, which I know is only saying it's better than 4. But considering how bad 4 was, that's kind of an accomplishment in and of itself in my eyes. So that's my thoughts on... Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man Tell No Tales, which is still such a long title. I wish they would have... It's funny at this point, because that, that title, to my knowledge, comes out of the retooling of the ride. And if you go on the ride, at least the one in Florida, there's a scene where you're going through a tunnel, and you see Davy Jones is like, Dead Man Tell No Tales. So it's funny how we went from the theme park ride sort of inspiring the films, and now it seems like the retooled version of the ride is sort of inspiring inspiring the, uh, the like the films inspired the ride and changes to the ride which is now inspiring the films so it's sort of interesting how that's all become cyclical but that's all for now if you like this episode you can rate and review us on itunes if you'd be so kind we're also on stitcher you can find me on at you can find me at cricket table on twitter i don't know why i said it like that but twitter twitter facebook or other social medias. You can also find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies at crookedtable.com. Next week, we're going to be talking about basically uh, the Crooked Table podcast. We're going to be it's uh, the 50th episode next week, so we're going to be doing a little bit of a retrospective, uh, sort of lessons learned and my, some of my best films that I've seen during the run of this podcast. Some of my favorite conversations and um, exactly what I have in mind for the future and that kind of thing. It's basically a, a, uh, a new year's resolution in the middle of the year, um, retrospective on the crooked table. So whether that's your bag or not, um, either way, we'll catch you around the table next week. As I said, I have been Rob and roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.